0: Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Wisdom, a study through Proverbs. We appreciate you dads leading your family that you are here. And uh, the world needs good fathers, so thank you. It's very fitting that today we are in Proverbs 3 and 4, and it's Father's Day because these two chapters as I'm sure you've been reading, are written from Solomon as a father to his son or to his children, to us. and to say, Pleading to say, hey, make good choices. Set yourself up to make good choices in the protections that God has put around us. So this being Father's Day, I think about the proverbial wisdom that my dad has passed to me over the years. Things like, hey, be on time, but not just on time, be early right? And be a gentleman, right? This is uh, stuff that's helped me be successful in life. There are three girls in my family, my wife and my two daughters. First service, I had said I had three kids. That's not accurate. I have, I have two, um, which is why I didn't win the coffee cup. Um, but the, um, so it's, it gets harder to be like, you know, open car doors and stuff. But I'm telling you, whoever dates Natalie, my youngest daughter, she always sits behind me. She will not get out of that car unless I open that door. They are in trouble if she gets picked up on that first date and that door is not open for her. I have a feeling it will end right then. Because she is used to it. I just have it now. You get out, you open the door, you take care of it. Because my dad said, hey, be a gentleman. Take care of the ladies around you. He said, honor the Lord with how you live your life. And these things being spoken to me over and over again have become part of how I live my life. I also consider the proverbial wisdom of Lisa's dad. Lisa's dad had lived a much different life than my dad. Um, he's one of my favorite people to sit down and have a conversation with. So let me give you a little bit of a backstory. Lisa's dad was in the drywall hanging business um, for his entire adult life, much like Big Earl Tim's dad. okay? And um, he, so he's a tough, tough man, tough man. God has shown me that he did not make all men of equal toughness by introducing me to Lisa's dad. The man has fallen down two elevator shafts and survived. The second one, he said, I was so sure that I was dead, like I assume on the way down, just looking up or something, right? So sure I was dead that when I woke up and the paramedics were all around me, I just started joking with them because I was, I was just amazed I was breathing. And they had to plead with me, sir, stop talking. You are in bad shape. Okay? Tough man. Right? So some chaos goes down in Lisa's family. He ends up turning to drugs. He's on drugs for a, a long period of time. It lands him in jail. When he gets out of jail, he moves from California to Georgia and is clean the rest of his life, okay? He comes here, he, he's still alive by the way. Um, he moved here to Georgia, I mean he shows up at our kitchen table, opens the Yellow Pages, he had no plan except for I just gotta get away from these things, and he starts calling every drywall company, finds one, and he's a ridiculous hard worker, and so he, he worked for them as long as they were in business and found other things, and he's like a 60 year old carrying two sheets of drywall up places. I mean, tough, tough man. So we're at Thanksgiving dinner with all of Lisa's family. Lisa is one of 10 kids. Okay? Two of which are boys. That makes the rest of them female. <laughs> just just in case you didn't work the math in your head. Okay? So when they get together, it is rowdy. It is loud. They love each other. They don't see each other often. It gets noisy. Okay, so we eat dinner, then they start separating and it gets like all the ladies get together and they get loud and they're having a blast together and all the civilized folk or the males move outside (laughs) to around the fire pit and we're just kind of chilling and talking at normal civilized levels, right? Lisa's dad says, as we're sitting there, gives me this piece of wisdom, he says, do you know The worst part about dumpster diving at the laundromat? (laughs) Now, I need you to understand, he's not trying to be funny. The man hates paying for things he doesn't have to, and much like our own Rick Bloomquist, if he can get clothes for free, he's going to do it. Okay? So my immediate thought, I have two thoughts, really, okay? Is one, I I don't know. I don't know what the worst part is. Is it wildlife, like raccoons? What, I mean, that would be pretty bad if you decided, I'm going to go trying to find clothes, and then a raccoon attacks you like elf or something like that, right? It could be, it could be rough. Um, and my second thought is, I'm dying to know, right? Because he said things like this many times. This is not the only one. I'm just like, I'm so intrigued, right? And he says, the worst part about dumpster diving at the laundromat is that I keep finding great pairs of jeans that fit me in the waist, but they're all too short, Not what I was expecting. Right? Now, he's not a super tall man. He might have been taller before the elevator shafts. I don't know. But he's not super tall. But you can take this wisdom to the bank. Say, if you're average height or below average height, this might be a good place for you to find good pairs of jeans. So why do I share that with you? One, because I love Lisa's dad, and it's a Hilarious story to me because this is so typical for him, not trying to be funny, but giving you this piece of his life, and it's so different than mine, but also to show you that you are overwhelmed by pieces of wisdom or suspected wisdom more than any time in the history of man through social media, through your coworkers, through your family, through news outlets. They're all telling you what is true in the proper way to live your life. And there is almost no way for you to take it all in, research what is true and what is not, and figure out how to do things. And it's really worldly wisdom. And what Solomon is doing in these is laying out and saying, hey, you're going to have a lot of choices to make. Don't make them out of how you feel Or what just feels right, because when we just take in all this information, that's what we end up doing, because we don't have time to sift through it all, so we just say, well, this feels good to me, and already goes along with what I agree, so that must be true. And this doesn't, and feels like it will be hard, so that must not be true. Solomon's saying, you cannot operate your life that way, or navigate your life that way. So let's look at Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life in peace they will add to you. Let your steadfast love and faithfulness, I'm sorry, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. I'm not asking you to to remember because you're likely to forget. I'm asking you to make this part of who you are how you operate. Your standard operating procedure for life is to remember these wise sayings. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So this verse, especially five, is very common in the Christian world. We've heard this a lot. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So let's talk about trust for a second. Trust is difficult for us. Trust is like... It's delicate. It's like a, like a glass vase or a vase, if you're fancy, right? It feels firm in your hand, like this is sturdy. But if you drop it on a tile floor, it shatters into a million pieces and you can't put it back together. And if you've been on this planet for more than five years, you've probably had somebody who's broken your trust. And for us as people, when that happens to us several times, we stop trusting people at all. We isolate, we keep people at an arm's distance. We only show them a little bit of who we are because we're afraid to be hurt again. So often when I'm in small groups, never a group quite this big, I ask people, and I have people answer me this after the service, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. How many of you have five people in your life you really trust, and I don't mean to like let your dog out when you're out of town. I mean, you trust them that if something happened to you, they would take care of your family. I mean, if something really tragic is going on, you could sit with them and share with them every detail. They would keep it to themselves and offer you godly wisdom. I can tell you that when I ask if people have five, it's almost zero. People will say they have five, people like that. Also, I'm surprised at how many people say zero. They have zero people that they absolutely trust. Some of them will say one, but it's because their spouse is sitting next to them. And they feel weird saying zero. I had one wife say zero, and then I pointed at her spouse, and she goes, oh, yeah, one. One. There's one. Because trust is difficult. But the problem is, the Lord has asked you to live in community, Right? You can't live in community hiding who you are. You you don't get to grow inside the community without trusting the people you're you're around. And I know, speaking to a lot of people who've been on this planet for a while, I plead with you to find some people you really trust that you can do life with. Not only will this grow you in the sake of community, it will help your trust in the Lord. It will teach you to trust again, but it will involve some risk on your part. So when he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, what does it mean to trust in the Lord? Trusting the Lord is believing that what God says is true, and then living your life in that way, inside of those protections. Believing that he knows better as the creator of how to protect you from the chaos that can come from your poor decisions. You will learn to trust in the Lord as you walk it out with him. As you daily surrender, as you pray every day, as you worship him every day, as you kneel before him, as you read the word, and I'm going to harp on this just for a moment, what I hear from especially guys in their 20s, but even from 50-year-old men, Nick, I just don't like to read. Or I just don't retain the things that I read. So on the news the other day, I heard the average person sends 94 texts a day. 94. On average. I'm sure there's people, I mean, an average, right? So there's people who are way higher than that, people that are way lower than that. Don't tell me you don't like to read. You will prioritize what is important to you. Get in his word. Show him where his value is. When we say, God, we lift you high saying, we put you at the top of our priority list. Another thing that people say when I say, hey, we need to read the Word. We need to get into the Word. They say, I get distracted when I read the Bible. And my response to that is, you're dang right you do. Absolutely. For two reasons. Number one, a lot of us will read our Bible on our phone. This isn't a horrible idea. It's not terrible, but when you're getting notifications and text messages and all of these things pulling your mind in separate directions, are you really giving your attention to the Lord? Some of you right now are receiving a text message, and you feel like there's just no way that person can wait 30 minutes for me to respond. I better respond right now. But you probably didn't hear me just say that, so it's okay. (laughs) I've actually been in the nest before, which is that high area up there, and look down and seen a whole family crushing candy during the service. Right? I mean, attending service. There's, there's a chance the Lord can do something inside of that. Giving your attention to the Father and saying, I value what you have to say gives you the opportunity for God to radically change you and prepare you for this life. The second reason we get distracted is because the enemy wants you distracted. He wants you distracted because the Word of God is free. The Father wants you free, and the enemy wants you captive, distracted, and confused. And the Lord wants you free and accepted. So He's gonna do everything He can. It's funny, you never get distracted watching a YouTube video about kittens. You watch that thing all the way through and you giggle and you share it with everybody, right? But your mind doesn't seem to wander. Then you must fight to give the Lord the attention he deserves in your time in the word. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You ever watch a lion hunt. And I've, I've been to Africa several times, um, and every time I've seen a lion there, it was just laying in the sun, not doing anything, so it wasn't very exciting. Everybody wants to see a lion, but they do a lot of this late, so that they don't bring you out when they might eat you. But If you watch a lion on the Discovery Channel and they are hunting, they are quiet, they are patient, they are camouflaged in the grass. And when they pounce, they move quickly and they take out the weakest in the bunch. Our prayer as the leadership here at the cross is that you are not the weakest in the bunch. Fight to give the Lord your attention. Fight to give him your affection. This is a distracting world. And as you fight, as you pay attention, you will grow strong in the faith and the fight gets easier. Solomon says, Hey, don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding because when you lean on your own understanding or when you live a life of sin, it's all emotion based. I'm making decisions out of how I feel in that moment, which become selfish decisions, which will lead me into chaos. So this reminds me of a story of a friend of mine. So this is a good friend. He, he um, Although a chair has four legs, he prefers two. He, every time he would sit in a chair, he would lean back, right? Just lean back. He probably did it since he was 10 years old. I don't know how long, to be honest, right? But he, he's a grown man now. We went out to dinner. Um, we had several people with us, like 10. He's leaning back in this chair, and I catch his eye, and I hear this noise, and the chair just collapses underneath him. And I, this is a man I don't see embarrassed very often, but this was embarrassing, okay? You see, that, that chair was designed to sit on four legs. But he went, "No, but this is what I've done forever." And see, this is how sin works. is often I walk in my own decisions, and the first time, everything's OK. So I'm going to push a little farther, and everything's still OK. And this is kind of what I've done forever, and I get in these routines, and then chaos breaks out, and I wonder why. How did this happen? Well the design, the designer had a plan for you to avoid these things, but we ignored them. So we see people do this with relationships. They decide to compartmentalize where they follow the parameters. That Jesus has put out. The protections that God has laid out for us. And they just they say, I'm going to have Jesus as part of my work life and part of my church life. But in my romantic life, I'm going to do what I want to do and ignore those parameters. And they blow up relationship after relationship. And they wonder why. Now granted, the Lord has a lot to say about relationships in particular. And some of them are rough. We tell people when we're counseling them for marriage, like, you're gonna think I'm trying to talk you out of getting married. But marriage is tough. And so when we bring up scriptures like, wives, submit to your husbands, and uh, husbands, love your wife, as Christ loved the church, right? Women hear this word submit, and like strong women, and they they cringe a little bit, like, oh gosh, no. And I get that, I, I understand that. But we'll tell them, hey, look at your husband. And if you don't trust him to lead your family spiritually, then don't marry him. And we look at the husband and we say, hey, if you're not willing to love your wife as Christ loved the church, which he died for, and I don't mean in a a fury of like gunfire, because every dude in here thinks they would do that, right? If I'm going to protect your honor, I'll go down, no problem, right? Every guy believes that. What you're saying is, I'll die to my own selfish ambitions. I'll die to some of the things that I wanted to do because I treasure her, I treasure our family, and that I'm going to put as the highest priority for us. It's not that these things are easy, but they will lead you away from chaos that you as a couple are seeking the Lord together. Because all of our decisions have consequences. And Solomon talks to his son. He's saying, you're going to make a ton of decisions. And if you continue to just make them out of how you feel in that moment, you're going to cause yourself a lot of heartache and trouble. Ravi Zacharias says, God gives you the most sacred gift of the prerogative of choice. But God does not give you the privilege of determining a different outcome to what the choice will entail. So he made you a free human being who gets to decide how you will live in the parameters for how you see this world. So how do we trust in the Lord? How do we, because it seems like a lot, right? God has said a lot of things. And make no mistake, thank the Lord for grace. Thank the Lord for grace. Grace doesn't save us from the, the consequences of worldly decisions but brings us back into the affection of the Lord. But we need to guard our hearts so that we can operate in the wisdom of the Lord. We need to condition them for the things that are going to come at us in the world so that we are prepared. So your heart is the framework for which you see this world. It's the lens that you perceive the situations that are coming at you and how you respond to them. Jumping back to that Proverbs 3 hey, wear this around your neck, write it on the tablet of your heart. I don't want you just to be able to recite it back to me. I want it to be part of who you are. Because in Jeremiah, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. You are born a selfish human being who is going to get yours first unless you reprogram yourself, wash yourself in the love and the word of the Father. So Solomon knows this and he says, in Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and, put your ga- and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. You gotta teach your heart to look towards the Lord. Keep your heart with all vigilance. I'm going to train my heart to be looking for the affection of the Lord by being with Him, by trusting Him more and more, by hearing what He says in the Word. When I think about this idea of guarding your heart, I think about Rick and Kara and when they were pregnant with Nora. And if you don't, you probably know the story if you've been around here, but if you haven't, they had a diagnosis from the, from the doctor that said this could be something seriously wrong with Nora. She might be born blind. She might be born deaf. She might be stillborn. We're very concerned about this. And it was, it was a hard time. And we prayed for this baby and for her health, for her life. We pleaded with the Lord. But amidst all of that chaos, I could feel a peace in them that from somebody who was close but on the outside was astounding to watch because they believed and knew that God could shift the situation. They did. They believed it. But they also knew that if he didn't heal her body, he would give them the grace to deal with whatever came next. It was a beautiful thing to watch, but how did they get there? They didn't decide on the day that prognosis sh- showed up you know, we better trust the Lord in this because this is heavy. They had trusted the Lord day after day after day and God had shown himself faithful in a million small things so that when it came to this big thing, they say, you got this too, Lord. And I'm not saying it wasn't hard and there weren't tears and there wasn't probably even yelling at the Lord, but there was a trust and a peace in them. It was a beautiful thing to watch. And as that situation raised its head, and the enemy thought that he might be able to get victory over them, he was wrong. Because their eyes were fixed on the Lord. This is the fight. This is what separates us from the world. We're called children of God. We're looking towards him. And Jesus says, I, in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Your greatest war is won through the blood of Jesus. We want to focus, keep our eyes on him, stay on the path that leads towards him. and We live in this world that celebrates victimhood almost. Now listen to me. I'm not minimizing anything that's happened to you or diminishing that because there are some terrible things that have happened to many people in this room. What I'm saying is if your identity is in your victimhood, you cannot live victoriously. And if you come across people that say, hey, it's okay for you to live outside of the boundaries of what God has said is true because of what's happened to you, they're wrong. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, you can't be a victim and a conqueror at the same time. I can't cower in the corner and stand and raise my sword in victory at the same time. I must accept my identity as the victor, understanding that my greatest war is won for me to live victoriously. And this can be difficult, especially if you've identified as a victim for a long time. But I'm telling you, today can shift that. We're going to pray in a little bit. You can come up and say, I have used this as an excuse for me not to live in freedom. But God wants me free. He wants you free. Today can be the day you raise your sword in victory. In Proverbs 3, we read this verse earlier, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight in all your ways. All your ways. Not on Sundays. Not just when you're at home. You don't get to be brutal at work and then come home and be gentle as a lamb. In all your ways acknowledge him and make your path straight. And then in Proverbs 4, 26, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Both of these ideas of a path, right? What path are you on? What direction are you going in? If all your decisions are based on your emotion, if all of your decisions are just based on what feels good at that moment, you are leading yourself into chaos and you probably don't even understand your path. But I remember Lisa and I for we took an anniversary trip to Charleston, and we're walking through this park. And there's a path um, of grass straight through the middle, and on each side it's like briars and tall grass. And then there's lakes on both sides that have alligators in them. Okay, my wife is oddly obsessed with alligators. I don't know why. I really don't. She loves to see them like in the wild, where you're slightly in danger, but not in a ton of danger. Okay, it's kind of cool to see them at the zoo. Um, she's okay with that, but she wants to, like, see it in real life, right? And so we found out there were some places we could go, so we went and we looked, right? And you can walk on this path. Now, you could choose to walk just off the path two feet inside the briars and the long grass next to the water where you might lose a foot. You could choose to do that. It's your choice. Or you can walk the path where it's clear where it's been set up. And you know what? Sometimes the briars grow into the path. path. But you know what happens to those? They get stomped out by your feet because the path has been cleared by being walked over and over again. So you're going to have trouble. We want you to take heart. Our desire as a body, as a church staff, as the people around you who are committed to Jesus is that you would live in freedom today that you would understand that following the uh, principles and the protections that the Lord has put around you is not enslaving you to them, but it's actually stepping into freedom. Knowing the love of Jesus and operating your life as a response to the affection he has poured out to you is the only freedom really worth having. and This is our desire for you you would trust in the Lord with all of your heart, that we would not segment things, but we give him all of it, we would not lean on our understanding or live in sin, which could lead us to chaos. This is our desire for you. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website we have old messages and archived series, so you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web, or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.